Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, for your word, for your family, for a nice, warm, safe building to be in this morning. We pray that you would bless us as we come together in worship and unity. And we ask that your word would ring true today for us, that it would resonate, and that we would leave feeling drawn nearer to you and your heart. In your name we pray, amen. All right, kiddos, you can skedaddle. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Doing well? Yeah? Good. I've had, I've had one of those mornings this morning. I came in feeling pretty well prepared, and then I realized when I got my PowerPoint up there at first that you couldn't read it. So I had to change my PowerPoint last minute. And there was just, I was running around. Fortunately, the, the Mevo's been cooperating this morning. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be pulling my hair out and all kinds of things. But it's just, I've been scurrying around, feels like all week long. It's just been a hectic week this week. I've had meetings out the wazoo. There's been some stuff going on. There's been schoolwork still. We had all the kids here from school on Wednesday, which was awesome and fun, but that's a lot of work and a lot of things to coordinate. And I had like three or four meetings on Thursday. It's just been go, go, go. But it's good to come in on a Sunday morning ready to just sit in the Word of God. A couple months ago, I don't know if you remember, I don't even remember which sermon it was I was preaching, but at one point I said, hey, if you guys would like a sermon on different Bible translations, feel free to write it on your Connect card. And that's what we're at this morning. This morning's sermon is going to be on different Bible translations, a little bit of why translations are different from each other and what those different translations look like, because we are all different individuals. And we might read things a little bit differently. We might speak a little bit differently from one another. And there's different thought that goes in behind it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to unpack that this morning because I want you guys to be able to feel connected to the Word of God. And I know there are some people who feel more connected to one translation than another. And if that's something that you're not familiar with, it's good. Or if it is something you're familiar with, it's good to re-familiarize yourself with it or to look and see what other translations have to offer because a shift in perspective can be a good and healthy thing. So that's what we're talking about this morning. And I am pulling 
I know that the main verses I had for this morning were from Psalm 119, but I'm going to be pulling from Psalm 23 because we recently memorized it, and it's a very familiar passage that we hear a lot. And so when we compare the translations, there are going to be verses that you probably recognize, even if it's worded in a way that you're not familiar with. So I'm going to talk about three different schools of thought behind translation and kind of how we get there. The first one I'm going to go with is word-for-word. Word. So word-for-word word translation, I'm, I'm going to use a little French sentence that I came up with that would make sense, and it is, tu me manques mon amour, which is, I miss you, my love. If you translated it word-for-word, word, however, because of the way that the French language works, tu means that you, like my love, is the one who's being missed. It makes you the subject. And so it would be translated more likely as you are missed, my love, versus I miss you. It would be you are missed by me because you is the subject of the sentence. I know that that's a little grammar heavy, but it's important to get a little bit nitpicky with some of this stuff because we're talking about translations. And so it's kind of like a game of telephone. When you are translating from one language to another, you have to get the message from this person to this person. And it's literally not the same language. So if you thought telephone was hard enough in a room full of people who are all speaking English, imagine throwing in a different language. Not only a different language, but a language that hasn't been spoken for 2,000 years. Now things have gotten more complicated. And French and English are both based on Latin languages versus these languages, which are not, which makes it even more complicated. So Bible translations can get a little bit fuzzy and a little bit murky and a little bit confusing. And so I'm going to use that analogy, the tu manque mon amour, I miss you, my love, throughout the sermon as a sort of way that we can better understand how we get to these translations. So we'll be visiting that sentence a few times this morning so that we can get a better picture. Because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not super well-versed in ancient Greek or ancient Hebrew. Are you? No. Okay, so we're going to stick with modern English and modern French to just kind of use as an example. Now, I've got a couple different translations that are a little bit more word-for-word, word, if you will, than some of the others. So looking at Psalm 23, verse 5, we're going to start with the King James Version. Now, I've got two different King James Versions here. I've got the King James, and I've got the New King James. For the original King James, and I apologize, the font's a little bit small. Again, my PowerPoint had to get changed very last minute this morning because... I realized that my words weren't even showing up on there earlier because of our projector, which we are working on sorting out, but that's, a, that's another story for another day. The original King James says, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So, We've got thou and we've got the ifs going on. And it's a little bit less familiar, a little bit more like Shakespeare compared to how we speak 
nowadays. The new King James takes that and it gets rid of the ifs and the thous and the these and the thines and that kind of thing. And so it's a little bit more like how we speak today. So for the new King James, it is you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. And then we've got the NASB, or the New American Standard Bible. If you're not familiar with that, that's actually the Bible that I do my devotions out of. This bad boy right here. And it is a little bit more modern in some ways, but in other ways, it's still kind of old school. So in some of the Psalms and some of the places where someone is praying or directly addressing God, you will still see thou because it's trying to emphasize God's holiness and set him apart from other people. But when it's just people talking, it doesn't use the thou and the thee and the thine and all that stuff. So here it says you, but with a capital Y to emphasize that it's God, prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So I underlined and highlighted in red some of the differences. So for example, in the New American, it says overflows instead of runneth over or runs over. So there's some small differences, but they are quite similar to one another if you look at them. So that's the word for word. These ones are a little bit Sometimes harder to read. You might have to read it two or three times for it to really sink in because it's more focused on word for word, just like earlier how it is, you were missed by me as opposed to I miss you. You are missed by me doesn't miss any of the nuance in the language. It really focuses on getting absolutely every detail across. But sometimes that's not how we speak to one another. And so it reads a little bit more clunky. It reads a little bit more dense. And so if you have a harder time reading, or if you have an attention span that can get distracted, that might be a little bit more difficult. And that's okay. Not everybody has to read the same translation. But I just wanted to show you some of those differences before we scoot on to the next one. The next one is thought for thought. So this is taking a whole idea and translating the whole idea. So this might be taking a full sentence or even a couple of sentences and translating them as a whole unit to sort of paint a picture. So with this, sometimes it gets a little bit more poetic. Sometimes it can change the understanding a little bit too, but it can be very easy to understand and very easy to read. So the way that I translated it, the, uh, the tu me manques mon amour, the I miss you, my love, this one is my love, how I miss you. It still means the same thing, but with the word how in there, it kind of emphasizes that, and it, it drives that thought home and it's a little bit flowery, a little bit cute, a little bit poetic. And you see that in some of the Bible translations. But it's also very easy to read. God bless you. 
So, for this example, we're in Psalm 23, verse 4. Now, in the old King James Version, it would start with the word yea. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? So here it starts with even. It says, even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff reassure me. That's the New English translation. That one's one of the ones that I think is a little bit easier to just sit down and read. It reads a little bit more like a modern story to me than some of the other translations. Same with the New Living. And this one reads, Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. So there's quite a few differences here. First off, this one adds in the word must there. I, I hadn't really seen that in most of the other translations when I was doing my looking. The word must really stuck out to me. But if you think about it, most people don't volunteer to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That's not something you're excited about, is it? Woo! I love trials in my life. Yeah! No? Nobody's signing up for that? So the word must, it resonates, it feels like it fits in there quite well. But that word might not be in the original Hebrew that it was written in. It's more there for us to connect with, for us to relate to, for us to understand, and so that when we read it, that it makes sense. Now this one says, I fear no danger instead of evil. When I go out and about and I'm driving down the road, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not typically thinking of, oh man, there's going to be some evil. If there's bad weather, I don't think, oh, there's evil around the corner. I think, oh, it could be dangerous. I should slow down. Oh, there might be a deer. That would be dangerous. Now, granted, David was also confronting a lot of evil in his life. There were people who were literally trying to kill him. So evil or danger could make sense for him. But danger is probably something we relate to a little bit more in our day-to-day -day life. Danger is something that's a little bit less abstract. Something else that I noticed was, with me is how it's typically translated, but in the New Living, it says, close beside me. I really like that picture. That, again, it might not be exactly word for word how it is in the Hebrew, but thinking of God close beside me feels comforting, feels reassuring. And in fact, it says reassure right there after your rod and your staff, instead of comfort me, like it is in most translations, reassure. Now, reassure and comfort, they mean very similar things. But they're a little bit different. And this one says protect and comfort, which is interesting if you think about the difference between a rod and a staff. It's addressing both of those separate tools and how they both function in different ways. But again... In most translations, it only has one word there, not two. 
So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it's a little poetic and they might add in a couple of things here and there to make it more relatable or more easily understood. The next translation theory, I guess you could say, would be phrase by phrase. So taking, if you, if you want to be, you know, all grammatical and stuff, you could say that you're taking segments, you know, of your sentence. So things that happen between commas or between, you know, the beginning of the sentence and a semicolon, phrases, gerunds, grammar words, stuff. But if you take a chunk of a sentence and you translate the chunk of the sentence instead of the whole thing or going word by word, somewhere in the middle. And so translating tu me manques mon amour, that one translates as I miss you, my love. It's pretty condensed. It makes sense. It translates pretty easily. It's not necessarily as flowery, and it could miss some of the nuance of going word by word, but it also reads pretty easily. So I would equate that a little bit more with the NIV, which is what we have in our pews. If you pull out one of the black Bibles, or this one's actually brown, but most of them are black, from the pews in front of you, you have an NIV. And I think that the NIV and the ESV, or the English Standard Version, I think that they're both kind of in this boat. And so it reads pretty nicely, and it also preserves some of the nuance. But it doesn't quite do as word for word as something like the King James of the New American Standard. And it's also not as relatable, might not be quite as easy to read, might not have as much flowery language as something like the, um, as something like the NET, the, the New English Translation, or the New Living Translation. So they're kind of somewhere in the middle. And it's going to sound familiar because this is what we have up on our PowerPoint on a weekly basis. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the NIV. The ESV, it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They're pretty darn similar. There's really only a couple of differences. There is the word you're in here, to emphasize that the goodness and the love comes from God. And then the ESV uses mercy instead of the word love, which is interesting to think about, right? Because love and mercy, they're similar, but that was definitely a choice made by those translators. Because you might love pizza, but you don't show mercy to pizza, right? They had to make a choice there with that word. Now, if you love your spouse, you should show mercy to your spouse. That should be a part of that relationship. But I love cookies, and I am merciless when I eat those cookies. I do not preserve them. I do not spare them. They go right in the old tum, and I like it. 
The last difference that you notice here is if you look at the ESV, it uses the word shall, which is probably a little bit more old school and a little bit more formal than the NIV. But they're very similar. So I want to give you a couple of thoughts and things to consider as you look at these different translations. Because I, like I said, when I do my devotions, I typically use the NASB, which is a little bit more word for word. Sometimes it's a little clunky. Sometimes I have to read something two or three times for it to really sink in the old noggin. That's not a bad thing. But there are some times where it's easier to sit down and digest something. Like, I have a waterproof Bible that is in the New Living Translation. And I love going out in the woods and sitting down and reading that. And it reads like a book. And it just feels, I don't want to say like a warm hug, but when I read it, there's something about it that's so relatable and so easy to read that you can just kind of sit down and it, it just feels more natural. Maybe it's more how I speak. Maybe it's just a little bit more close to how I think and process things. But that's something to consider. Another thing to consider is that some Bibles use different pronouns. And when I say that, I want to be careful in how I explain this. Some Bibles, if you look at specifically in the Old Testament where it is addressing the nation of Israel, it often spe specifies uh, men. It talks about the men of Israel, and it addresses, you know, fathers and their sons, and it's very focused on the male side of things. And there are some Bible translations where in some of those circumstances, they say, you know, people, or they say the nation of Israel, or they say men and women, or instead of just fathers and sons, they might also include mothers and daughters. They make it a little bit more inclusive. And in some circumstances, it makes sense because obviously you don't want only half of the nation following the laws of God, right? But on the other hand, we need to be careful there as well because it's the Word of God. And adding too many things to make it more relatable could detract from the Word of God. And there are some things where God specifies that, for example, in a family unit, it addresses the male as the head of the household. Now, as Don Lafferty likes to say, the wife is the neck that turns the head. There's cooperation, and there is submission on both sides, and it's not just about men are in charge and women have to shut up and sit down. But we do need to be careful there in how we parse that out. And I don't want to overlook the fact that there are some translations that do change some of that. Next. Over the years, we have found more and more manuscripts, and that's just a big fancy word that means we've found old copies of the Bible. If you've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, think of like Indiana Jones, when they're doing excavational digs, they find things, and some of the things that they've found have been copies of the Bible. Well, not the Bible per se, but individual scrolls like, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah. And they've found 
older and older copies. And part of the process of the Bible being handed down was, believe it or not, they didn't have cloud sharing back then. So you couldn't type up the book of the Bible that God was giving you and save it to the cloud and give it to access to everybody. You had to write it down, and then in order for that to be passed and shared, somebody else would have to write it down, and then somebody else would have to write it down, and then, oh, well, I spilled my coffee on this scroll. Looks like we got to copy it again so that when I give it to the neighbor, they'll be able to read it. And so it had to be copied and copied and copied and copied. And the people who did that, that was their job. If you look through the Old Testament and you see the word scribe, that was, that was them. They were human Xerox machines. That was their job. And it was a big job. You don't want to be known as the guy who messed up the word of God, right? That would be bad. Yes, that would be bad. We can agree that. Yes. So they were very careful and very cautious. But most people look at the older manuscripts, the ones that were closer to when it was originally written, as being more reliable, because sometimes those scribes would say, oh, hey, this part was hard to translate, so it could have meant this. Or, you know, there are some, some notes that were clearly added in afterwards. If we look at, a good example is Deuteronomy. At the very end of it, Yes, at the very end of it, Moses dies. And we believe that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. But obviously Moses can't write about how Moses died because he was dead. So somebody else had to add in that little section at the very, very end about how Moses died. Could have been Joshua, could have been somebody else who was a scribe at that point. And so that's a, that's a good note from an editor. That gives us understanding. That gives us context. But something to just be cognizant of is some of those Bible translations, like the King James, were written before we found some of the older manuscripts. I believe a lot of the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in like 1940... The year that pops in my head is one. I could be off on that. I'd have to go do some looking. Um, but some of the translations that were written before then didn't have access to those manuscripts. Now, that doesn't mean you should just throw away your King James Version because it might have a couple of extra verses. But there are some verses in the King James specifically that aren't in other translations. I believe there's 16 of them. And they're just little snippets here and there. And they're not bad, and they give a little bit more insight but it's just something to be aware of. Another thing to be aware of is your own personal reading level. I know that some people who struggle with dyslexia or who might have learned to read at a later age can struggle with reading. And pulling out a King James Version where there's these and thousand ifs and you know words like begat that we don't use nowadays, which who knows what the word begat means? I What's it mean? <laughs> Mark says it means to begat. To that's a that's that's a good yes. To gain. Well, I I think that the word sire here probably makes a little bit more sense. So if we look at the word begat, the context it fits in with is the genealogies. Adam begat Seth. Adam was the father of Seth. 
is, is a, a good way to describe that. Um, in fact, it's where we get the word begotten when we talk about John 3.16, how Jesus is God's only begotten son. It could also be translated as God begat Jesus is, is, is how we would get there. But that's not a word we use on a regular basis. And so if you're reading a word that you don't really use and you don't really understand and you already have a hard time reading, that's going to be frustrating. And the Word of God is, is meant for us to be connected to. And we have access in English to so many translations of the Bible that I don't want to see you be frustrated and not reading the Word of God because you have a hard time reading. That doesn't seem fair. And the last thing I want to, to give you as a little point of consideration is holy reverence. There's one thing about the NIV that drives me nuts. I love the NIV. I read it all the time. My first study Bible was NIV, and I got it from my grandfather. But the thing that drives me nuts about it, any guesses? It is holy reverence. Wow, Dan, you're good. You are good. So when it talks about God... And it uses the word you, or uses the word he, it's not capitalized. And that bugs me. I know it's a little thing. I know it's something that some people wouldn't even necessarily think of or notice, but it bugs me personally as Brentley William Postelic. In fact, when I use NIV in my PowerPoints, I go back through and I delete all the H's and the Y's when it's talking about God, and I capitalize them. A little bit, yeah. And I know that it's not something that you might even really notice or think about, but I notice it, and it bugs me. Well, if it bugs you, you might not want to read every single day from something like the NIV, where it's not capitalized. That's a good question. I, I would have to look it up. There are also some other translations that I didn't throw in there. The English, the English Bible's translated in a bazillion different ways, but I want to throw out some other, uh, I'm calling them honorable mentions. We've got the HCSB, which stands for the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's gotten kind of popular in the last few years, um, and it's a, it's a pretty good translation. I think it falls a little bit in the NET, NLT um, the, the more poetic, the more it's, it's easy to read and easy to understand, but it adds in a few words here and there. I think it fits into that range. And so the first verse, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then instead of I shall not want or I shall not be in want, it says, there is nothing I lack. Which makes sense to me because when I first heard that verse, I always thought it was saying I don't want God and I did not understand why it was worded like that. And someone at some point explained, no, 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 it's not that you don't want God. It's that because God is there taking care of you, there's nothing else that you want in life. But as a little kid, I totally didn't get that. And verse 1 made no sense to me. So I like, I like that word. That's good for me. makes sense to me. The next one I want to point out is the Amplified Bible. I know Randy has a copy of it that he uses a lot. And it puts little stuff in brackets. Instead of saying extra words like, you know, the HCSB that we just visited, 
it puts them in brackets, saying you could also read it this way, or here's another way to understand it, and it's got a lot of footnotes too, um, so that you can visit and understand and, and read it in different ways that you might relate to. But it doesn't directly put it in there, it puts it in brackets. And so this one, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, and then in brackets it says to feed, to guide, and to shield me. That's in brackets because that's the job of a shepherd, right? You feed your sheep, you guide your sheep, you protect your sheep. And so that's giving a little more context for what that means. But it's in brackets so that you know that that's not part of the scripture. That's not part of what the ancient text says. That's just more information for you. And then it says, I shall not want. The last one I want to visit here is the message. A lot of people don't even call the message a translation technically because it wasn't a whole group of people coming together and praying and spending years working together on interpreting certain words and certain phrases. It was one guy who kind of sat down and said, how could I word the Bible in a way that relates to me? It was just one man who did this. It was like a personal project. And so if you read it, that's okay. And sometimes I like to go to it just to get a good kind of conversational understanding of what this text might be trying to say. But I also want to caution you because it was just one man who sat down and he did put in a lot of effort and it is really easy to read and it's good for a lot of things. But I do want to caution you because... It was up to just one guy. It wasn't a whole group of people who were, who were praying earnestly over it, who were cautious interpreters. And so I, I don't want to bash it. I don't want to say it's a horrible, bad thing and that you shouldn't ever read the message ever. But I also just want to be careful in saying it was done by one person. And so you should keep that in mind in the back of your head if you're reading from the message. It can be good to, to understand, to help chew through a verse, but just be cautious knowing that it's one person's understanding or interpretation of the Bible. So it's a little bit less scholarly, a little bit less, you could even potentially say reliable, but it's good for easy reading and understanding. I want to leave you with this note. Remember, all Scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach as what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So that's one of those more kind of relatable translations. That's the New Living Translation of 2 Timothy 3.16. But I liked how it talks about how it teaches us to do what's right. How it corrects us when we're wrong. So when you're, when you're looking through translations or when you hear someone say, oh, this was the you know, NIV, this was the NLT, this was the NET, I, I just wanted to give you some, some tools, some reference, some idea of where these things are coming from. Because they are different, and it can be confusing, and it can be overwhelming. I have a whole stack of Bibles, a whole stack of them, different translations. I think I've got six or seven. 
like at home in my office. And there's way more that you can find online or that you can buy or that you might have at your home or at the local Christian bookstore. There's countless translations. This was just kind of an overview, a little flyby. And I know that this might not have been the most engaging sermon. I know that this might not have been the most exciting thing to talk about. But it's good to understand what the Bible says. It's good to understand where these translations come from. It's good to understand when you come into church why we have copies of the NIV in here. It's good to recognize these things. And I also want to challenge you, if you look at your Connect card, on the back of it, the three points. I want to challenge you guys this week to maybe go home and try a translation that you haven't read before. Just to, just to see, just to see what it's like. And I also want you to say, hey, you know, there might be, there might be one that I really don't relate to. Maybe, maybe you, personally, like me with my capital letters, right? Maybe you think, wow, I'm really cautious about the Word of God, and I'm not sure I like things like the New Living Translation. They add in a few words, and I don't think I'm okay with that. That's okay. It's good to recognize where you're at. Or maybe you're in the other boat, and you're thinking, I don't like the these and the ifs and the thou art. And that just confuses me, and I have a hard time reading it. And something like the New Living Translation is much better for me because I can sit down and read the Bible that way. If that's what gets you to read the Bible, by no means am I going to say, good golly, that's a bad book, you need to put it down. Certainly not. But I, I just want you to be aware of these differences. So how do you read the Bible? How do you talk in your normal life? How do you talk when you pray? What is the purpose of reading your Bible? When you sit down to read your Bible, what are you hoping to gain from it? These are all things that you should be thinking of when you look at these different translations. Because that's going to show you what you could get out of it or what you're trying to get out of it and might point you in the direction of a translation that would help you out. Because a different translation might help or hinder you in your goals as you grow. At the end of the day, the reason I gave this sermon this morning was because I want you guys to go home and thirst for the Word of God. As the deer panteth, yeah, there's an ith in there, yeah, for the water. So my soul longs after you, or longeth after thee. I want you guys to go home and want to read Scripture. And I want it to feel approachable for you. And that's why I did this sermon today. I want you guys to understand that the Bible is for you, where you're at. It's for me, where I'm at. And a different translation might feel more comfortable for you. Or if you've been reading the same Bible since you were 14... Maybe it'd be good for you to branch out and read a different version because maybe something else would stick out to you. Maybe something else would really resonate in your heart and challenge you to grow. But you're not going to know if you don't try. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for what it means to us, for how it impacts us. We thank you that we are so privileged that we not only have access to your word, but we have access to your word in several different ways so that we can understand it, so that we can grasp it, so that we can relate to it, so that we can understand your laws and your precepts, so that we can hide them in our heart, so that we can chase after you and understand what it is that you want for us. We pray that you would guide each of us closer to you this week and help us get into Scripture, help us dive into it, help us want to read Scripture. Help us chase after you. In your name we pray. Amen.